Father, I pray that that would be our heart, that our goal in life and our desire would be to worship and honor you no matter what we do throughout the day. Father, I pray that as Adam brings the message that we would um, be open to hear what you are saying through him and that we would um, honor you with what we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Today I want to talk to you about something that's incredibly simple and also uh, I have found profoundly difficult to do. So be ready for that. But to start off, what I'd like to do is I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, June 11th, 1997. There were probably a lot of things going on that day. But I remember as a 12-year-old boy, um, <clears throat> that morning uh, I woke up and I realized two things. I realized that today was game five of the Bulls versus, or Chicago Bulls versus the Utah Jazz uh, finals. And uh, it was game five, and they were tied. And I was a huge Michael Jordan fan at the time. Like, this was after he came back, like when he was just, like, untouchable. And I was a huge Michael Jordan fan, so I had, like, on my Bulls t-shirt and my Bulls hat, and, like, I was just, like, really excited. I still love the Chicago Bulls, but... Um, so I was really excited. That was the first thing I realized. And then the second thing I realized was that I really did not feel very good at all. I woke up that morning with, like, there was pain in my ear, and it was just not comfortable at all. And um, turns out that I had an ear infection, because pretty quickly, as the day kept going, I got this fever that just, like, slowed me down and just started to just sap every little bit of energy out of my life. And so how many of you guys have ever felt a fever before and felt the effects of it? It's just like, it's like a normal version of you, and then there's a carbon copy of you, and then there's a carbon copy of the carbon copy of you. That's you when you have a fever. And so I was just feeling miserable, and, uh, you know, even at 12, like, I just started to wilt. And so I spent most of the day laying on the couch with this heating pad under my head, and, you know, my mom would bring me chicken noodle soup and tea or something. For service, I said coffee. You just should never give coffee to a 12-year-old. And um, 
Well, I just remember worrying because, like, I was, like, not myself. And I, I was worried that I was going to miss the game tonight because it was the big game. It was game five. And I knew that this would be a pivotal game because I don't know if you guys remember, but the, both teams that year were insanely talented. Uh, they had rosters that were, like, just all-stars. And uh, I, I knew it was going to be a, a, a really big game. And I was like, you know, 12-year-old problems. I'm not going to be able to see the basketball game tonight. My life is ruined. And so I was laying there, and the, 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 the morning turned into afternoon, turned into evening. And it was me and my dad in the living room. And he was sitting in his recliner, and I was laying on the couch, and I had this heating pad. And I think we had tacos that night, and I remember smelling tacos. And none of the rest of my family were there, so it was just me and my dad, and we're watching this game. And I'm glad, because finally I get to see the beginning of it. And uh, I noticed within the first couple minutes, something is terribly wrong with one of my greatest heroes. Because I'm watching this game, and Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan, I don't even have to say Michael Jordan is like somebody. Michael Jordan is like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's on the court, and he is running like some third-string high school player. Like, he is just like, ugh, going up and down the field, and, or the court. And eventually, the announcer um, picks up on this and tells the audience, he says, uh, just so you know, while you're watching this game, Michael Jordan was not going to play this game. Yesterday he woke up with a fever of 102 and he was feeling nauseous and he almost fainted. And like He's just having a really, really hard day. And so uh, if you notice that MJ's off his game, that's why. And so I watched and this whole first quarter, Michael Jordan was just like not Michael Jordan. And then in the second quarter, it's like the lights went on. And he was unstoppable. And as just this little 12-year-old boy, that this is like one of my idols, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to get it. And so what ends up happening is Michael Jordan ends up playing one of his most memorable and greatest games that night. He scored 38 points against one of the greatest teams in the country. Like, that was just him. And he got the victory for his team, and they went on to win the championship, and it was a good year. But I remember laying there and seeing greatness. There are other moments in my life where I've seen greatness, but this is one of the ones that stands out to me because I saw someone do something that was incredibly impossible, and they achieved it. And I don't know if you guys have ever like seen greatness or experienced greatness, but for me, when I experience greatness, the first thing I want to do is be like that. Like It calls out this thing in me. And since I had just a 12-year-old brain in my head, I thought, Michael Jordan has a fever. I have a fever. He likes basketball. I like basketball. And somewhere in the back of my head, like I remembered that when he was in high school, he was a terrible basketball player and he practiced all the time. And I'm like, I'm a terrible basketball player. I could be the next Michael Jordan. And so you'll notice that every time like someone meets me, maybe they'll be like, oh, you're kind of tall. Do you play basketball? And I'm like, no. And there's like a wistful glint in my eyes. I like confess that I cannot play because what happened was I got better and I didn't have an ear infection for the rest of my life and so later on I, I got better and I started like going out into our driveway we didn't even have a basketball hoop but I thought you know fundamentals I'm going to get fundamentals and so I like tried to like dribble the ball and I can't even like dribble the ball without bouncing off my feet and it's not good you're not supposed to do that in a game it resets the shot clock so um, I can't dribble I can't pass I certainly can't shoot 
And my dream of greatness, like, crumbled in front of my little 12-year-old life. And so, there you go. I'm not an NBA player. Sorry, everybody. But we all have, I think, an experience with greatness. We all see greatness at some point. We see someone in our lives that just stands out as a great in our field. And a lot of times, as an adult now, it, it manifests itself in work, in what I do. And so specifically what I do is I'm a preacher and that, that's what I do and, and I'm a pastor and that's kind of what I do. And so there's this thing where I'm constantly looking at people who uh, are very, very successful, very, very great in my field. And in the back of my mind when somebody says, hey, Adam, you're really good at what you do, I'm, I'm like, oh, you don't know. Though that person over there is truly great. Some of those great people are standing in this room. But we all, maybe uh, in our fields, maybe for you it's farming, maybe for you it's ranching, maybe for you it's veterinarian, maybe for you it's, it's working at the prison. Like There's a lot of things that we do vocationally. And we all, I think, have this example in the back of our mind, this person that we are aspiring to be, this person that has set a level of greatness, of aptitude that we only wish we could achieve. And so we constantly measure ourselves against them. Maybe in a healthy way, maybe in an unhealthy way, but that person exists in our field. We think, hmm, that person, if I could just be as good as that guy, if I could just be as good at this as that guy, then I'd be great. But for some of us, maybe, you know, work isn't like our life. Maybe for you, like, greatness for you would be having, like, the greatest Norman Rockwell cookie-cutter, like, leave it to beaver family. You know, maybe for you, your work is, is your family, your greatness is measured by your family, how well-behaved your kids are, uh, how well-behaved your husband is, how well-behaved your wife is. Like, maybe for you, the greatness is like, you just see these families around you that seem like of their own Pinterest page. How many people have ever heard of Pinterest? How many people obsessively check it every day? Confession time. Okay. Um... For those of you that don't know, Pinterest is this thing where you, you can take crafts and ideas and, and, and more than that, but crafts and ideas and you put pictures up and you can do like little explanations about it and like there's like these like life hacks that you can do like, this is how to make a new light bulb in three easy steps. And so I've noticed this phenomenon on Facebook with, with uh, people that are making their homes, like uh, guys and girls that are in charge of their family like they get really crafty and they get really obsessed with like these things and, and making sure they have the best decorations and like the best food and like they take pictures of it and then write descriptions of it and you know maybe our life we want it to be like a Pinterest page we want our family to be you know our three and a half kids to be well combed hair well dressed in modern fashion um, not smelly nice we want our husband to work hard, come home, be responsible, build a fence, you know, like whatever husbands are supposed to do. <laughs> I've been married for seven years, and I've never built a fence, so I hope that's not it. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, we have this idea of what our family should be. And we typically look at another family around us, and we're like, oh, that's the greatest right there. They just seem like they have it all together. The, their kids are well-behaved, and they smell nice. Like, they're just good people, and I just wish that my family could be normal like that family. And so you, like, strive and ambition towards greatness there. You want to be, like, the best family on the block. And that's, I'm not blaming anybody. I think that's fine. But maybe, uh, this is this one maybe we would be a little less likely to admit, but something, at least in my life, to be honest, we measure greatness by money. You know, you see somebody who has maybe just a little bit more than you do, 
maybe through business transactions, you realize that somebody is, is more well-off than you thought they were and definitely more well-off than you are. And you see the life that they live and you just think, boy, that, I want that. I want what they have. I want that really nice retirement plan. I want my life plus a boat. Like, I think that would be the best kind of life ever. You know, we, we chase money. And, and it's not just necessarily because like we're greedy. It's because we want to have greatness in that area. We want to be the greatest at, at being good stewards. Like, we can give money away. Like, there's healthy ways you can do this. But we all kind of have that niggling thing in the back of our heads that says, maybe we want more money. Maybe we want to be the greatest in this way. And even if, if none of those apply to you, I want you to think about um, the thing that you do that is you. And think about the person that made you want to do that. Like, you want to emulate someone. All of us do. All of us are chasing some sort of greatest. And today, what I'd like to talk about is something that Jesus talked about. Because, to be honest, this thing that we're talking about is a, is a, a tale as old as time. For those of you Disney fans, you're welcome. That's stuck in your head all day. Um, it's truly a, a very old thing, and I think it's a very human thing to desire to be greatest, to desire to have uh, respect, to have admiration, to be good at what you do. And I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, I'm, I'm just going to blow the whole thing right here. Here's the spoilers. You are not the greatest, and I am not the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. You know, if you look at the front of your worship folder, there's a picture of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston after he knocked him out in the first minute of the first round of his fight. He was two of the greatest boxers of the, in the world at that time. And he's just standing over him like the victor. I love that image, but you're not that image. We are not that image. We can achieve greatness. We can aspire for greatness. But Jesus truly is the greatest. And I think in what he describes here, he's going to lay out exactly why and exactly what that means for us and how that is good news for you and for me. So if you would do me a favor and turn to chapter uh, 22 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to look at verses 24 through 29. We're going to jump around a couple other places, but... If there is one passage that I want you to walk away sticking in your brain today, I would like it for, do, for it to be this one because it has uh, rocked my world recently and in the past, and it is rocking it right now. And so, um, yeah, let's start. A dispute arose among them. Them are the disciples. Um, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They were having this argument among each other. There were 12 of them, and, and they probably... Like, since they were around Jesus, they probably did it in a way that was, like, really spiritual and sounded really good. And they'd be like, you know, you're really, Bartholomew, you're really good at this, but I am probably more humble than you are. In fact, I am probably the most humble of all disciples, and I'm also probably the greatest. You know, like, maybe they're arguing that way, and they were like, no, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand, or no, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand. To make a point... Uh, the Gospels record this conversation in so many different ways and so many different occurrences that I think it's stuck in their heads. I think that those 12, when Jesus said what he's about to say, it like was burned in their brains as something essential that he taught that we should hear. And so what I want, to, I want you to do is let's put ourselves in that place of the disciples arguing amongst each other who's the greatest. Because it's true what he says. And Jesus says to them, 
The king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So just a real quick bit of history here, because I think it's interesting. Okay? There was this thing in first century um, the, the Roman world where they had uh, a patron and a client. Okay, a benefactor and a client. And the idea was that the benefactor or the patron was so wealthy that instead of like hiring somebody to do a sculpture for them, or instead of hiring somebody to like paint a picture for them, they would have so much money just sitting around doing nothing that they would hire somebody to talk about how good they are. And they would, those people would be called clients. And, and so what would happen is like they would sometimes live in their homes, but what, what they did was this rich person who wanted to be great would, would hire somebody and say, okay, so now what you're going to do is you're going to go out in the marketplace and you're going to say, Adam is the best person ever. I mean, he's handsome, he's smart, he's athletic, he's strong. Like, you need to meet Adam. And they would like be town criers kind of in the marketplace extolling the virtues of their benefactor. Jesus says, that's how they do things. You know that little argument you're having among yourselves about who's like the greatest in my kingdom? You think it's fine? It's sick, and that's what it's like. People are renting people because they have so much ego, because they want to be the greatest. That's where this conversation leads. So he says, he, it's a soft rebuke, but he says, but not so with you. Verse 26, he says, not so with you. Rather... Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. Uh, in the other records of this little story, there, there's moments where Jesus actually pulls a child in, and he says, the greatest of you has to be like this kid. You know how awesome you are? You have to be helpless. You know how great you think you are? You have to be terrible at everything, like, because kids are bad at stuff. Um... Sorry, don't mean that as an insult. But um, he says, you have to be like this child. You have to be like a young person. You have to be, and then he uses the word, one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at a table or the one who serves him? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And then he says this thing that rocks my world. He says, but I am... I, Jesus, the Word of God, eternal. God spoke and I made it happen. I hold everything together. I'm going to rule over everything. I'm going to save the entire world. I am God Himself. I am among you as the one who serves. So he shifts their paradigms. He turns it upside down. He doesn't say you should not ambition to be the greatest. He doesn't say that you should not try to be good at what you do or you should not try to be recognized. But he says, this is how you do it. And he says, if you want to be great, you must serve. And then he, he uh, drops the gauntlet. He drops the mic. He says, I am the one who's entitled to everything in heaven and on earth and one who serves. Jesus is the greatest. And that's unstoppable truth. And we can follow in that. I am the one among you that serves. 
So originally, uh, you'll note that in your um, worship folder, that my passages, I listed 24 through 27, because that's originally, like, I wasn't, I didn't see how this fit. But I want to I submit something to you. I want to see if, you, if, you, if there's reasons out to you, because I think it reasons out to me. Verse 28 and 29, he continues and he explains what he's talking about. He says, You are those who have stayed with me, with me in my trials. You know, he's been run out of town. He's been reviled in his hometown. And his disciples have been there the whole time. There's even a point when he said something so hard that most people left him, and these are the ones that stayed. And, and I assign to you, as my Father has assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He lays out this reality that he applies his paradigm, if you will, that in this upside-down kingdom that he's, he's laying out, where the greatest must be the least, where the greatest has to be the one who serves, he says, it's not just smoke and mirrors. Someday... I'm going to inherit all things and I will share all things with you. And he says, you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Like, this is incredible for the people that are listening because these are like the, the people that God had been working through the, their entire life. Like, they had heard stories about this as children and so now Jesus is saying, you're going to rule over them. And he says in Matthew 11:11, 11, 11, he says that uh, the world has never seen someone better than John the Baptist, but the person who is the least in my kingdom will be greater than him. And I used to think that that was like an order of magnitude. Like, if the least in the kingdom of God is better than John the Baptist, then the greatest in the kingdom of God is, must be like, oh, so much better. But truly, I think he's reapplying this. He's saying, the least in my kingdom, the one who sees himself as the least, will be the greatest. And so, he says, we suffer now. We are low now. So that we may share in greatness. And that's what Jesus lays out in front of us. That we can be a part of what he's doing and be a part of what he will do and share eternity with him. Um, I think that's incredible. And incredibly difficult. To be honest, uh, I just recently um, this week I've been working on this this talk, and you know I hate reading the Bible sometimes because it's like it's always applicable, and I'm usually not doing it right. And so I, I'm studying this, and I, I'm trying it out. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to serve people. And so, you know, here as a youth pastor and up at camp, I have so many opportunities to serve people, and I wish I could tell you that I did a great job. I wish I could tell you that just understanding this made it easy. And then, la-di-da, I've got this done. Let's move on to the next thing. It has been incredibly difficult to serve those around me. And so I want to I share with you a, a, a verse, uh, a passage from Philippians chapter 2. Because I think the Apostle Paul was kind of onto this idea. And I think that he was trying to, trying to help people understand the way that the kingdom works. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1. And he's giving them all these explanations on how to live in community and how to see each other. And he says, So if there's any encouragement, this is verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, make my joy full, complete my joy, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. 
That would be incredible. But then he says it a different way. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. But in humility count others as more significant than yourself. This is a mindset that he's talking about. So Jesus says that you must serve to be great. You must become low to be lifted up. And, and, and then Paul gives this really, really great tip. I mean, this is, uh, you can do this today. Consider other people more important than yourself. So when you're in a room like this, think, how can I serve everyone else here? When you're in a room that has fewer people, some might call it a home, think, how can I serve other people? Because, see, the truth is, we all have this, like, I think, um, you may not agree with this, but I think that we all have this, like, checklist in our head at the end of the day. And, and we use it to evaluate whether we had a good day or a bad day. We say, um, you know, either consciously or subconsciously, and we just feel it. We say, did I eat well today? Like, am, are, were all my physical needs met? Was I happy? Was I, was I fulfilled? Did I do something fun? Did I do something that I liked? Like, we all kind of run down this checklist. And if we did most of those things, then yes, we are happy. And we can go to sleep. And so, like, if I live a day where I eat bacon, and um, I get to play computer games, and I get to, like, play some music, and maybe hug and kiss Jenny for a little bit, then, like, the end of the day, I'm pretty happy. Because I've gone through my checklist. And your checklist might be different. I, I hope it is, because it's a hug and kiss Jenny. <laughs> She's great, but... Um, we all kind of have that checklist, whether we put words to it or not, I think. And I think the thing is, what Paul's saying is that we get our pronouns wrong on that. Pronouns are like I, we, they. We get our pronouns wrong on that. Instead of saying, was I taken care of today physically? We should ask ourselves, were they taken care of physically? The people around us. My family and friends, the strangers around me, maybe my enemies, people I don't like, people that are annoying, were they well taken care of today? Were they well looked after? Were they fulfilled? Were they able to do something from, from their heart that God made them to do that, that I helped? Like, were they fulfilled? Were they happy? Not everything. But we always ask it about ourselves. What if we ask it about other people? Here's a challenge. What if we ask that about our brothers and our sisters? About our coworker that won't stop talking about us when we're not there? <laughs> like, were they happy? If we can switch our checklist to counting other people's value as more important than our own, then I think we're well on the way to our path towards serving, to becoming the least so that we may be the greatest. If we can understand that Jesus wants us to lay down our rights, then maybe we could live a life that looks a lot like, uh, let's see, it's Romans 12.10. that says, outdo one another in good deeds. And honoring each other, actually, is what it says. It's like a competition at this point. Like, who can honor the other person more? Who can make the other person look better? If we can get this paradigm right, if we can get this thinking correctly, then we would live in a community where uh, people would be outdoing one another 
in love and good deeds. Um, my good friend Carissa Bennett up at camp rebuked me. She didn't know it, but she did. Uh, I was sitting in the kitchen, and I was so grumpy. I was so grumpy. I was tired. Um, you know, my physical needs weren't being met. My emotional needs weren't being met. I was just like, oh, bottom of the barrel, Adam. And I'm just sitting in the kitchen, just trying to get up the willpower to get up and be nice. And, no, honest. And um, she says, you know, Adam, I've been thinking. This week, I'm going to say it's my pleasure. Because we both kind of make fun of Chick-fil-A because that's what they have to say. But she said, this week, I'm going to say it's my pleasure. When someone asks me to wash the dishes, I'm going to say it's my pleasure. When someone uh, wants me to watch their kids for a while because they're too tired, I'm going to say, it's my pleasure. I am honored to serve you. And then meanwhile, while she's saying that, I'm just like, oh, guilty again. Uh, but she was right. She was right that we would have this mindset of looking towards other people as more important than ourselves, looking towards their needs as more important than our own. And it's been very, very helpful for me and so I, I just want to offer a couple quick suggestions to you, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to sing some songs again, and then we're going to go out, and we're, I, I would really like it if we could just do this stuff. Like as a community. Like what would North Hills look like? So let's say, for instance, that you maybe your greatness would be measured by your work, that you would be the best mechanic in the county, that you would be the best farmer in the county, the best doctor, Whatever it is you do in your work tomorrow or whenever you work next, I want you to try an experiment. What would happen if you tried to outdo everyone else in making them look good? Like giving them credit, helping them to shine, helping them to stand out as truly, profoundly great. It will change your world. It will rock your socks because this is what Jesus is saying. He says it's going to change the entire world. And I suspect that it would change their world too because greatness calls out greatness. When they see you calling them out and making them look good over and above your own needs, that person, whether they're following Jesus or not, might look at you and say, there's something really different about that. I want that. They'll see that greatness and want to achieve that. But maybe, you know, for you it isn't work. Maybe for you it's family. Guys, I know that family is complicated. You've heard a little bit of my, about my story. Like, family is complicated. But what if, when you went home, you didn't instantly bring up everyone's history, you know, of, well, this is what they're going to do, and I know they're going to do this, and oh, I hate it when they do this. But instead of thinking how they've wronged you, think, how can I serve everyone in my family? And for the students in the room, I want to make a special encouragement to you. Because it's, it's kind of natural for parents to do that. They have an instinct inside of them. God built it biologically into them to take care of you. Children don't have that instinct, I don't think, to look after their parents. Um, for you students in the room, I want to encourage you. Tomorrow, look after the needs of your parents. Serve them. Serve your brothers and your sisters. Yeah, even the really annoying ones. We all have them. Some of us are them. You know, what would it look like in your family if every person 
instead of thinking how slighted they feel or how selfish they feel, would look to the needs of the other people in your family and and you would all serve mutually. It would be a beautiful, beautiful thing that the family down the road in your neighborhood might look at and say, man, I wonder what they've got. They just seem to have that ordered out. And you could say, no, nope, it's not us. It's definitely Jesus. Um, And maybe, okay, so this one's going to be hard. And uh, trust trust me, it's hard. Because I'm going to talk about money, and money's always hard. If for you, you want to become great financially, like that's your measure of success for greatness, I'm going to make a really specific and difficult challenge for you. Serve somebody this week by giving it away. Don't invest. Don't, don't be strategic about it. Don't say, well, this person's really in need. Because this is really more about you than it is about them at this point. If you want to become great financially, I want to encourage you, do something this week that maybe even hurts a little bit. That maybe is just a little bit scary, but, but you know that you want to bless someone and you want to serve someone in that way. Maybe you're going to have to give up coffee for a day. Maybe you're going to have to give up going to see a movie this weekend. I don't know. But it is so tremendously beneficial when, one, you can tell money that it's not in charge of you, and, two, you can serve people through it because it becomes this this wonderful, emotionally powerful thing when you help someone without any strings attached. So I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to try to do it myself. And, and I'm going to make it even more uh, simple, more clear, more easy. Um, sorry, I'm just going to say this for the church. Don't make it the church. You know, what I'm talking about is like give money away this week. Don't do it here. Do it somebody, with somebody in your community, somebody that you interact with regularly, somebody that knows your face and you know theirs, and they know your name and you know their name. Like, do it in a way that's like new and exciting and maybe a little scary. Because when we make ourselves low, we can understand, one, who is truly great, and that we can achieve that too. So um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I'm going to share just one last story in Scripture. Um, This is actually from that same game. I was reading this wonderful article about, um, kind of, it interviewed the people that were in that fever game, or the flu game is what they call it. And... um, Michael Jordan, he woke up the day before with a fever of 102, and he couldn't even get out of his bed. Like, he tried standing up, and he'd fall over, and, like, he just, he was exhausted. And there's, this, there's even this picture of Scottie Pippen holding him up on the court. Like, he's, you know, they're both sweating. It's near the end of the game. And he's just, like, falling apart. And, and so what he does before the game, it's like that afternoon, he tries to go into the locker room to get his uniform on, and he fails a couple times because he can't stand long enough to put his uniform on. So finally, he sits down, he gets some sort of presence of mind to stand up and go out to, to Coach Jackson, and he says, I really want to play this game. My team needs me. At that point, he's not thinking about his illness. He's not thinking about how incredibly uncomfortable this will be if he loses and, like, biffs it or, like, pukes on the middle of a basketball court. Like, he's thinking, my team needs me. There's a greater mindset that I want to share with you. Because, you know, Michael Jordan's great. I love Michael Jordan, but he's not the greatest. But his mindset is something similar to this. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He is truly the greatest, but he did it by thinking of himself as less than that. By humbling himself. And so my question to you is, what would this community look like if we followed Jesus in this mindset? What would this community look like if we made ourselves low so that we could be the greatest? Jesus, I thank you for your love and I thank you that you lead us and that you cover us. And God, I just thank you that you truly are the greatest, that you have marched forward and defeated death itself. And God, I thank you that you lead us in that. And so God, I just pray that you would help us to walk into victory by serving those around us. Lord, help us to walk into true greatness by running the other way and serving. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, challenge my heart, to follow you. Jesus, to embrace your suffering, to embrace the trials, Lord, that we may also taste greatness. So God, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love, and I just pray that you'd help us to go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come forward to collect the offering, I invite you guys to join us in this last song. We're going to end with majesty. And I really like the song because it opens up, Here I am, humbled by your majesty. And... It just reminds me of coming before God and saying, this is what I have, because God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't use the most perfect people. Like if you look at the Bible, he uses David and Moses and people that were broken, and he worked with who they were, and he worked through them. 